Well, here we go. It is week three of Be Bold. How many of you feeling bold today? You feeling bold? Hey, I hope you are more bold than the 9 a.m. service. I actually felt bad waking them up preaching, okay? So I know we're in a boil water notice, and you might not have got your coffee, but hey, I am your coffee today. So let me ask you this question. Wait, you do know that you can laugh in church, right? You know you can do that, right? You know you can clap in church. Go ahead, everybody, try to give me a clap. You know that? You know that you can get excited. And did you know that... When you amen me, it actually cuts one minute off of my sermon per amen. Just letting you know, okay? So just the more you amen, the better I preach. Just saying. So today is week three of our Be Bold sermon series. How many of y'all are feeling bold this morning? Who's feeling bold today? Hey, this series is to inspire us to motivate us and to challenge us to step out in faith, to be bold, and to buy a brand new building here in the heart of downtown Beaumont. Are you ready to be bold? Well, today we're going to continue the series with a sermon called, I Will Be Bold with my, pull out your sermon note sheet, fill in the blank, with my invitations. I will be bold with my invitations because when we buy that new building, we're going to need to fill it with some people, amen? And that's going to require us being bold with our invitations. And so we do this every week. Go ahead, pull out that invite card right now. It's on your seat. Go ahead, pull it out. Pull out your invite card. Let me see it. Let me see it. It says, you are invited, okay? And here's what we say every single week that this is not just an invitation to church. Oh, no, 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 no. It is more than just an invitation to church. This is an invitation to what? Life changed through Jesus because we're not just inviting people to church, we're inviting them to meet Jesus. And we believe that when people meet Jesus, everything in their life begins to change. That's why we want to be bold with our invitations. I believe that each and every one of you has a story of boldness that is inside of you, that God wants to release and unleash that boldness because it doesn't just affect you, but your boldness actually affects everyone around you. There's a verse that comes to my mind when I was studying and preparing this week. Jesus says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And statistically, that's true. Research has shown, according to Lifeway, the Southern Baptist organization, they have discovered that when it comes to our invitations, they are very important because 86% of non-church-going people are willing to engage in a faith-based conversation with somebody else. 86% of your friends and family members, coworkers, people at work, college roommates, 86% of them say that they would engage in a faith-based conversation with somebody else. Also, they've discovered that eight out of 10 people would accept an invitation to church on a major holiday or a special event. So that could be like Christmas or coming up in a few weeks, there's going to be Easter and even our big bold weekend, the five-year anniversary of our church. Eight out of 10 people, if you would just invite them, they would actually come to church with you, eight out of 10 people. And one other thing that is really interesting when we, when we look at it is that people are willing to have these conversations. The number one reason that people do not go to church when surveyed and polled is because they don't want to go by themselves. Nobody wants to go to church for the first time by themselves. They want somebody to be with them, which is why there is power in your invitations. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. I think another way for us to think about this is maybe the harvest is plentiful, but the invitations are few. Because as Christians, especially in the 21st century, many of us are timid and afraid when it comes to our invitations. LifeWay also discovered that 95% of Christians will never lead one person to Jesus during their lifetime, 95%. Statistically, um, 30% of Christians have not invited someone to church within the last year. And also research goes to show that the least likely person to attend, to invite someone to church is someone who attends one time per month. And as church attendance continues to decrease, especially with COVID 
the numbers are drastically dropping as people are no longer practicing spiritual discipline of attending church, neither in person nor online. As church attendance continues to decrease, our invitations follow along and our invitations are decreasing as well. The harvest is plentiful. Right now, guys, we are ripe for a harvest. I believe that God is doing something new. I believe that God is moving, God is working, and we're in a season right now that is a harvest season. But the laborers, the workers, the inviters, and the bringers are few. And so I want to encourage you. I want to motivate you. I want to challenge you today to be bold with your invitations because we're not just inviting someone to church. It's more than that. We're inviting people to experience life change through Jesus. That's my story. 15 years ago, I met a cute girl on MySpace. How many of y'all remember MySpace, okay? It was before Tinder and all those other things, right? I met this girl on MySpace. I was in a punk band, and I was trying to book shows in Houston, and so I went on MySpace, and I added all of the pretty girls. And I said, hey, we're playing a show coming up in Houston. We'd love for you to come out. And this one girl, she messaged me back, and we started talking on AOL Instant Messenger. Her name was Ashley, okay? And uh, we started messaging one another through AOL Instant Messenger, and I... Um, we built this relationship. Now, our relationship was not godly. In fact, I was not a Christian. She was not a Christian. We were far from God. I was actually um, on drugs, and I was bordering on an early alcohol addiction. I just call it partying, but apparently, if you're getting drunk every night, that's called uh, alcoholism. And so I'm 20, and I'm an alcoholic, a drug addict, in and out of jail, and that's how we began our dating relationship. And as we continued dating, one night, she was sitting in her bedroom by herself, completely alone. And then she just remembered this song she used to hear when she was a little girl. It was called Love Song for a Savior by Jars of Clay. And as she was listening to that, all of a sudden, she was overwhelmed with God's love and that he never left her, never abandoned her. And at midnight in her bedroom by herself, she gave her life to Jesus and she became a Christian. The next day, she called me. She said, hey, Byron, I don't want to live my life the way that we've been living. I don't want to do the things that we've been doing. And so here's what I want. I want you to take me to church. And I thought, I don't want to do that. That's like the last thing that I want to do. That's like the last place that I want to go. But she was cute. She still is, but she was then too. And I wanted to date her, and so I agreed to go to church with her. And when I went to church that Sunday morning, Everything in my life changed. Not because I went to church, not because I heard a sermon, not because I raised my hand and sung some songs, not because they had a greeter, not because they had parking signs outside, not because they had a lobby, and not because of all those things. Those things are good things, but that's not what it did that changed me. It was that moment, that morning, that day when I walked into church, I met Jesus, gave my life to Jesus, and when I gave my life to Jesus, everything afterwards began to change. And so the only reason that I am here today is because 15 years ago, Ashley invited me to church. And when Ashley brought me to church, Jesus began working on my life. I overcame the drug addiction. I stopped being an early alcoholic. God brought my life together. I was no longer in and out of jail. And then all of a sudden, God called me into ministry. I married that girl because, guys, if she wants you to come to church, you say yes, and then you keep taking her to church for the rest of your life. Amen? And so 15 years ago, me and Ashley got married. Today, I'm a dad. Today, I'm a husband. We've planted churches all across America. And five years ago, we moved back to Beaumont, Texas to launch a spirit-filled, life-giving church in the heart of the city. And today, you're here because 15 years ago, Ashley invited me to church. None of us would be here if it was not for Ashley. And so, Ashley, right now, you're watching online. We owe all of this to Ashley. Never underestimate what God can do through your invitations. One invitation 15 years ago, and today we're here. Never underestimate the power of one invitation. Never underestimate what God can do through you. Never underestimate the power of your invitation. Because your invites have power in them. You have influence in people's lives. You have trust built in people's lives. People know you. People respect you. 
And there comes power with that. Never underestimate the power that your invitation has to change someone else's life. Your power has the invitation to overcome loneliness. Your power has the invitation to overcome depression in somebody else's life. Your power, your invitation has the power to be able to change someone's mind. Your invitation has the power to be able to help someone be delivered from addiction and alcoholism. Your invitation has the power to bring hope and mercy into somebody else's life. Your invitation could be the deciding factor between suicide and life for somebody else. Your invitation and some Somebody's life could let them know that they are loved, they are seen, they are known, and they are valuable. Your invitation in somebody else's life could be the one thing that brings that marriage back together, could be that one thing that turns the hearts of the fathers back towards their children. Your invitation could be the difference in another child's life that's going to last for legacies where generations of their last name will never be the same again. Your invitation has the power to transform and to change a person's life. And it's not because you're inviting them to church. Oh no, it is more than that. We are inviting people to meet Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, everything in our life begins to change. Never underestimate the power of one invitation. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to encourage you to invite your friends to church. I want to encourage you. I want to motivate you. I want for you to step out in faith and to be bold when it comes to your invitations. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark or Luke rather, chapter five. And I want for you to start in verse 17. And I'm going to read you a story of bold invitations. I'm going to give you four requirements for you to be bold. How many of you, you want to be bold? You want to be bold, but you're a little nervous, you're a little timid, you're a little afraid. It's okay, it's okay. We've all been there before, but today you are going to learn four requirements for boldness when it comes to your invitation. So let's read it all up front, and then we will break it down on the back end. Here's Luke. I just keep wanting to say Mark. We're actually going to start Mark in just a few months, and I'm already preparing and studying for Mark, but we're in Luke right now. So here we go. Luke 5.17. On those days, he, who's that? That's Jesus. He was teaching. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking him to bring him and lay him before Jesus. Here's where the story is going to get bold. You ready? And finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed, cut a hole in the ceiling through the tiles, and lowered him down in the midst before Jesus. That's a bold move, right? They literally cut a hole in somebody's roof. That's a bold move. Here we go. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they began questioning, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God. And they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. That last line, circle it, underline it, highlight it, because that's my prayer for us as a church. My prayer is that we would be seized with what God is doing. We'd be seized with amazement, that we'd be overcome with awe, that we would glorify God, and that we would say we have seen extraordinary things today. That's my prayer for us, is that we would see extraordinary things together as a church, because I don't want to be a part of a church that just says extraordinary things. How many of you ever met somebody who talks a lot but don't do a lot? How many of you ever said somebody who says a lot but they don't, you don't actually see a lot that they do? I don't want to be a part of a church that says extraordinary things. No, no, no. I want to be a part of a church that sees God doing extraordinary things week in and week out in people's lives. I want to be a part of a church that sees extraordinary things. I want to be a part of a church that every single one of you will see the person that you know and love me 
meet Jesus. I want to be a part of a church where every single one of you get your one. We will not be a statistic. We will be a movement where everyone gets one. I'm praying for the day that your friends, your family, your neighbors, your husband, your wife get in that baptism water and we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm praying for the day that we have so many salvations and souls who meet Jesus that we don't even have to empty out the baptism tank and take it down because week in, week out, we're baptizing people who are going public with their faith. I am believing that one day we're going to see the men's meeting not happen in the, in the office, but we're going to see a hundred men gather together on Saturday mornings in the sanctuary, like Paul says, lifting up holy hands as an act of worship before the Lord, being attentive towards their children, being emotionally available towards their wives. All the ladies said, amen. I am believing for the day we are going to see that happen in the church. I am believing for the day that we are going to see missionaries from in-house be sent out around the world. I am believing that we are going to see men and women as leaders raised up inside of our church. We're going to plant 10 churches all across I-10 within the next 20 years. I'm not just saying we're going to do it. I'm believing for the day that we see it happen because I don't want to say we are a gospel-centered movement. God didn't call us to say life change. He called us to see life change. He didn't call us to say we are a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city. No, no, no. God has called us to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. I don't want to just say we're buying a building. I don't want to just say we're raising $500,000. I don't want to just say I'm going to be bold. I want to see boldness. I want to see that building. I want to see those pledges. I want to see the funds given, the miracles happen. I want to see healings take place in our church. I want to see it. I don't want to just say it. I want to be overcome with amazement at what God is doing. I want to be overcome with awe. I want to be filled with the glory of God. I want to see extraordinary things. How many of you want to see extraordinary things? Well, how do we do that? It starts all with an invitation. If you want to experience what we read here in Luke chapter 5, verse 26, where their amazement has seized them all, where they are glorifying God. If we want to be a church that's filled with awe and we want to say extraordinary, no, see extraordinary things. If we want to be a church like Luke chapter 5, verse 26, then we've got to be a church who's willing to do what these men did in Luke 5, 17. Invite our friends. And so what I want to do is I want to just help you, encourage you, build your faith and boldness to be bold with your invitations. So what's the story? story is there's four men, and they have a friend who can't get to Jesus. And so they decide that they're going to help their friend meet Jesus. That's all your invitation to church is. All you're in doing is you're helping people meet Jesus because he couldn't get there by himself. Our friends, our family members, they're going to need a little bit of help. How many of y'all needed a little bit of help, right? And so somebody helped you, and so we are going to be people who help others meet Jesus. That's all an invitation is. So they, they, these four men, they have a friend who is paralyzed, and he can't get to Jesus by himself. So they say, well, you know what? We're going to get you to Jesus one way or another. Because they know that he can preach, teach, heal. They've seen him change other people's lives. And they know that if they can get their friend to Jesus, then Jesus is going to touch him. And Jesus is going to change his life as well. And so they pick up their friend. They carry him maybe city blocks. And they finally arrange to, to get to the place where Jesus is at. And they realize the house is full. There is no room for them. This is one of the reasons we need a new building. Because there's no room for our friends. And so we're going to need a little extra room because, you know, they were unwilling to make room for this man. Are you willing to make room for yours? There, there's a house that was filled with people and there was no room for them to get in. So you know what they did? They knocked on the door and they opened it up and they said, sorry, we're full. There's no place for you to sit. You're going to have to go home. And one of them's like looking over the window and they're like, hey, is that a spot over there? Is that a spot over there? Just like whenever you're driving through Kroger and you're like, oh, I think I got a spot. And then it's like a tiny car and you're like, ah, dang. <laughs> they're like, nope, we can't fit in there either. And so you know what they decide to do? They decide to give up and go home. No, they didn't. That's not what they decided to do. They decided to do the opposite. They decided to find a way because if there is a will, there is a way. And so they decide we're going to make a way. We're going to find a way. 
And so they all huddle up together. They all bring everybody together in. They're like, okay, guys, we need to have a team huddle, team huddle. Everybody bring it on in, bring it on in. Say, so, okay, we got a problem. And then another person's like, you know, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Byron said the same thing, but he said they're not problems, they're called opportunities. Okay, yeah, that's right. We got an opportunity. <laughs> How do we get our friend, what's up, dude? How do we get our friend in there? Let's put our heads together. Let's think about it for a sec. There is no, you know, there is no dumb questions, only dumb people. <laughs> Wait, no, that's wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> anybody have an idea? And one guy's like, yeah, I got an idea. Okay, well, what is it? They're like, how about we pull the fire alarm? And they're like, oh, that's a dumb thing to say. They won't even invent fire alarms for 2,000 years, bro. Like, we can't do that. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, well, I don't know. Do you have a better idea? I mean, what do you think we should do? Just cut a hole in the roof and lower them down? That's crazy. So crazy, it just might work. Let's do it. And so you climb on top of the roof. We'll get the ropes. We'll get the pulleys. You tie it to one side of his mat. I'll tie it to the other side. We'll lift him up. We'll pick him up. Okay, you ready? Break. So they get to work. And Jesus is, remember, Jesus, this is the middle of Jesus' sermon, by the way. He's preaching a sermon. All right, sometimes y'all's phone go off when I'm preaching. That's a little distracting. But they're cutting a hole in the roof in the middle of Jesus' message, okay? And so oh, oh, they're listening. Everybody's coded in, listening. Oh, they're hanging on every word Jesus is saying. And then all of a sudden, you hear footsteps on the roof. And there's whispering. And then the whispering turns into shouting. No, don't do that. Oh, not there. Oh, wait, too much, too much. Back it up, back it up. Oh. Perfect. What is going on? And then all of a sudden... Light comes in through the roof. And then somebody pokes their head through. Perfect. All right, boys, lower him down. And then here comes Steve. And he looks up to Jesus and he goes, Hey, Jesus. Made it. <laughs> you know what Jesus says to him? He says, man, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat, go home. And just like that, in one moment, everything in this man's life changed. Because when we meet Jesus, everything in our life changes. That's why you're not just inviting people to church. Oh no, you're inviting people to experience life change that only comes from him. And so here, here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you four requirements to see this happen in your life. Four things that you can start doing today so that way you can see your friends begin to meet Jesus. Because I never want you to underestimate the power of your invitations. And so we're in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to give you four requirements. But before we dive into this, let me go ahead and say one thing. In 2018, when we first started our book of Mark, I actually preached the same text, the parallel passage in Mark. And I want you to go back and listen to it this week because it's a wonderful message. And there's so much in here that I don't have time to unpack for you today. I wish I did. Oh yeah, I already did. It's in Mark. So you can go back and you can listen to that. In this, in Mark's sermon, I really focused on the paralytic and Jesus. And so if you want a sermon that's over the divine healing, the trilemma of Jesus and his declarations of his divinity and whether or not Jesus really was God, you can go back and you can listen to that sermon. It's an incredible sermon, but that's not my goal for this message today. Instead of focusing on the paralytic, I want to focus on the friends. I want to focus on the faith, the risk, and the boldness that these friends have to be able to inspire you to step out in faith and be bold on your own. And so if you want a sermon over apologetics and really deep theology, Mark chapter 2, go listen to it. But today, if you want your friends to meet Jesus, this is the sermon for today. And so here we go. Four requirements for boldness when it comes to your faith. The first thing is this. That bold invitations require recognition. Look at what it says in, in, in Luke verse 17. And one of those days he was teaching. The Pharisees and the teachers of law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And behold, that means 
watch out. That means this is going to blow your mind. This is crazy. When you see behold in the Bible, they're telling you like, you better pay attention because this is about to get wild. He says, behold, here's what happens. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. These friends, they had recognized that their other friend had a need. If you want to be bold, you have to recognize that we are surrounded by people every single day who are in need. That every single one of us, we have a need. And if you're taking notes, write this down, very important, that we all have a need that only Jesus can meet. Every single one of us have a need, and only Jesus is able to meet that need. We all have a need, a need for relationship, a need for belonging, a need from healing over past hurts and wounds and traumas. We all have a need to be accepted. We all have a need to be wanted and known. We all have a need to feel important. We all have a need to feel loved and a need to be forgiven, a need for mercy, a need for destiny, a need for meaning, a need for purpose, a need for belonging. Every single one of us, we have a need and only Jesus is able to meet the inner longings and needs that we all have. You must recognize that everywhere you go and everyone you meet has a need and only Jesus is able to meet that need. This man here today, he had a need and his need is obvious. You look at his need. What is his need? He needs healing. His legs are broken. He is a paralytic. That is obvious. He is in need. And as we study through the rest of the text, we're going to see that Jesus meets that need. But I want you to also recognize something else, that this man doesn't just have one need. In fact, he has three needs. See, oftentimes we think that a person just has one need when truth is there's many needs that we have. And Jesus is able to meet every single one of those needs. On the surface, you'd read this, you'd say, well, this man has an obvious physical need. He needs a physical healing. That's true. But there's two other needs that we see in this text. We see a spiritual need, and we also see a cultural need. Let's keep reading so you can see how this works. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. What need is that? It's the physical need. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. What need is that? It's a spiritual need. How about this one? But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. What is that? That's the cultural need. This man has three needs. Obviously, the, the physical need. Most people's physical need is obvious if you're paying attention. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it is their family. Maybe it's something to do with their children. Maybe it is their in-laws or outlaws. Amen? You got a couple of those? Okay. Yeah, there's, a, there's a need that is there. Maybe it has to do with a cancer, or maybe it's a sickness or an illness. Maybe they're in chronic pain. There's a physical need. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's depression, anxiety. You know, the number one prescribed medication in America is antidepressants. There's a lot of people who are really anguished with a need. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's body image. Maybe it's stress at work or college. Maybe they're trying to pass OCHEM. Whatever it is, there is a legitimate need that people have. And if we want to lead our friends to Jesus, we need to recognize their need, the physical need. But there's another thing. There's a spiritual need. What's his need? He is separated from Jesus. Friends, I want you to understand that if you do not know and love Jesus, you have not repented and surrendered your life to him, you are separated from Jesus in your sins. If you're separated from him, you're not in relationship with him, you don't know him, and there is a real spiritual need that you have. You need forgiveness. You need the forgiveness of your sins. You need repentance. You need to turn and begin to follow him so that you might have life and life everlasting. Apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness of your sins. Apart from Jesus, there is no eternal life. There is only eternal suffering and torment in hell forever. Friends, I need you to understand this. Come to the realization and the recognition that those who are apart from Christ will be apart from him forever. That heaven is real and hell is real. And this is not a game of people's souls. This is a matter of life and death because hell is real and forever is a long time. And we need to be recognizing the spiritual condition of the people around us. Without Jesus, this man is going to be a cripple for the rest of his life. 
Without Jesus, the people that you know and love, they will be separated from him for all of eternity. Do you have a burden for the lost, a burden for the spiritual needs and the souls of those that you love? You need to recognize that there's a real spiritual need. But also at the same time, there is a cultural need. What is the cultural need? They can't get them there because of the crowd. The religious leaders, the, the, the teachers of the law, the crowd, all the people who are gathering around, they are blocking their boldness. They are preventing them from getting their friend to Jesus. How many of you have shared your faith and your friends just won't listen to it? How many of you invited somebody to church and they just never showed up? Or they just gave you the nice smile like, thank you. But then they didn't come, right? Do you know why they didn't come? Because there was a cultural need that was preventing them from coming. There's a physical need. There's a spiritual need. But at the same time, there's a cultural need. So what is the cultural needs that are preventing people from coming to Jesus? Now, obviously, we could talk about the religious leaders and how big and nasty and mean all the religious hypocrites are. But that's too easy of a target. Instead, let's focus on the culture that we live in. I've discovered that there's really two ways that people have cultural needs. Number one, some people are antagonistic towards faith. But on the other hand, a lot of people are just apathetic when it comes to faith. So there's some people you're going to meet, and they're going to be antagonistic. So you say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And they're saying, no, I don't want to hear it because I don't believe in Jesus. I watched a YouTube video one time where it says, you know, Jesus married Mary Magdalene, and they moved off to France and had a bunch of kids. And I don't believe that Jesus really died on the cross. It's all a fairy tale and folklore. It's all a made-up story to manipulate and control people's minds. And Christians are dumb and weak-minded, and they can't think for themselves. And all of y'all are just brainwashed. And, you know, I'm Christians are bigots and hypocrites, and they're all homophobic and anti-science, and they say they're pro-life, but really they're pro-birth because they don't care about people after the day that they're born. You ever been on Twitter? That's Twitter, basically, okay? <laughs> Antagonistic towards matters of faith. But in real life, see, people get real bold behind a keyboard, don't they? In real life, most people are just apathetic. Hey, would you like to come to church with me? Sorry, going to Jay Wilson's for brunch. Sorry, Sunday's my day off. You know, I just had a really long week. I just, you know, I just, I just need some me time. You know, I would love to be able to go to church with you, but you know, you know, my kids, my kids, right? I mean, you know, we have kids church. Oh, I know, but you know, like not my kids, right? I would love to come, you know, T-ball. We've got T-ball, right? My, you know, Johnny, he's in select soccer. And, you know, I, I used to go, but now that Johnny's in soccer, listen, parents, if church is not important to you, don't be surprised if it's unnecessary for your kids when they grow up. I can't go to church because Johnny's in T-ball. I can't go to church because Johnny's in soccer. I, I, I can't go to church because i got to wash my hair. I can't go to church because, well, you know, it's raining. I can't go to church because it's not raining. I can't go to church because it's cold. I can't go to church because it's not cold. I can't go to church because the weather's not right. Oh, the weather's just right. We're going to go to the lake instead. Oh, I can't go to church today. Why not? Oh, because, you know, my favorite is like COVID, right? Oh, I just can't, I just can't go, right? Yeah, you can't even watch online because of COVID? Like, is that, is that stopping you from watching online too? You're like, no, COVID, you know? Like, I can go out to eat to a restaurant. I can get on an airplane and fly across the city, like I could go to all these other places. I can go to the grocery store, H-E-B. I've been to Walmart at two o'clock in the morning. Listen, church is safer than Walmart, okay? And so, like, <laughs> but, I, I can't, but I can't go to church, okay? I just can't do that, all right? Why? 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 Apathy. Most people, just apathetic. Some people, antagonistic. But either way, there is a cultural need that needs to be overcome. And only Jesus is able to meet all three of those needs, and in this story, Jesus meets the physical need, he heals him. He meets the spiritual need, he forgives him. And he meets the cultural need by shaming the religious leaders in the culture of the day. Do you recognize the needs of those who are in your life and around you? I want you to go ahead and do me a favor right now. Everybody just pause for, for five seconds. On your note sheet, I want you to write the name of one person. I want to close your eyes, take a deep breath, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the need of that one person. Take just a deep breath. Holy Spirit, here's my name. Reveal their need to me. Write down their need. Pray for them this week because now you recognize what their need is. And now you can bring the good news of Jesus to them. Which leads to the second thing. If you, if you want to be bold with your invitation, you also need to have 
determination. Did they take no for an answer? No. They found a way to make a way possible for them. Look at what it says. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on top of the roof. They let him down in his bed and his tiles in the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. This is a bold move, right? They didn't even wait for an invitation. They, they invited themselves. They cut a hole in the ceiling, lowered their friend down. Hey, what's up, Jesus? It's me, Steve. Like, they didn't even wait. They invited themselves. This is a bold move. How many of you are willing to cut a hole in somebody else's house to meet Jesus, right? You're willing. You're like, hey, I went to Home Depot before church. I am ready to get to work. I want my friends to meet Jesus. How about we just start with, like, texting them? That's probably a good way to start. You're like, I have to have a conversation with somebody. But I took, a, I, took a, I took an Enneagram. It says I'm a four-wing five, which that eliminates me from, invi- right? I don't have to talk to anybody, right? You know, I took a personality test. I'm an INFP, okay, J-E-R-K. Like, that's your test. You don't have to talk to anybody anymore, right? No, that's not what I said, because none of us, regardless of our personality or whatever test we took, is exempt from inviting and sharing our faith with others, right? No, no. We, don't, we, we all have a part to play in this. And so it means it's going to take you getting a little uncomfortable. If you want to see your friends meet Jesus, it's going to have to be a little inconvenient on your part. You're going to have to risk looking foolish. You're going to have to step out in faith, and you're going to need something called boldness. It's going to take a risk. If you're taking notes, write this down. Another way to spell bold is R-I-S-K, risk. Try that for a personality type, R-I-S-K, Risk. Another way to spell bold is risk. Think about the people that we admire most in history. They don't write books about boring people, do they? No, they write books about bold people. We remember their boldness because of their willingness to take a risk. Think about Martin Luther as he launched the Protestant Reformation. There was a risk involved with that. It was a risk of excommunication due to his throwing over of the papacy. There was a risk that was involved in that. Think about William Tyndale as he wrote copies of the Bible because he believed that people needed a copy for themselves. There was a risk of life. In fact, Tyndale was actually burned at the stake because he wanted you to be able to have a Bible. There was a risk that was involved with that. Think about Rosa Parks on that bus. There was a real risk that she took of not getting off of the bus during that time period of segregation. But we remember her, why? Because of her boldness and because of her willingness to take a risk. If you want to see your friends meet Jesus, it's going to require that determination. What are you willing to risk so that somebody else meets Jesus? See, these men, they're willing to make a risk. What did they risk? They risked their time, their energy, their afternoon. They risked their money, maybe even being held financially liable for cutting a hole in somebody else's roof. I'm sure their insurance didn't cover that, amen? And so there was a real risk that was involved in that. They risked being arrested. They risked being thrown in jail. They risked their reputation. They had significant risks because they were willing to take a risk. Yet, at the same time, there was something they were not willing to risk. They were not willing to risk their friend not meeting Jesus. So you say, I'm just, not, I'm just not willing to take that risk. Oh, you are taking a risk. You're just taking a risk with somebody else's life. You, everything requires risk. And if you want to be bold, it's going to take risk. What are you willing to risk so that someone else meets Jesus? Are you willing to risk your reputation? What better reason to put your reputation on the line than for the fame of Jesus in somebody else's life? Are you willing to risk your finances? This is why we're doing the Be Bold Pledge. Ask God, God, financially, what do you want me to risk so that my seat next to me can be filled with somebody that I love? What are you willing to risk financially so that your children can have a church in 20 years? What are you willing to risk financially so that that person at the gym, that girl at the coffee shop, so that way your husband or your wife or your children or that person at the, wherever you may go at the college or whether it's your work, you have a place for them to come and meet Jesus. Financially, what risk are you willing to make so that somebody else can have the same experience that you had? What are you willing to risk? Are you willing to give up your Saturday so that somebody else can spend church with you on Sunday? What are you willing to risk that someone else meets Jesus? You say, but what if they make fun of me? So what? You're an adult. Get over it. 
What if they make fun of me? I don't know. Go home and eat a bowl of cereal. It's not that big of a deal. Right? I mean, they're probably already making fun of you behind your back. They just have the guts to do it to your face now. So there you go. What, 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 if I, what, what risk is there? What real risk is there? The risk is that we don't step out in boldness and someone that we love doesn't meet Jesus. So yeah, I'm willing to, I'm not, I'm willing to make a lot of risk because I'm not willing to take that risk when it comes to my mother, my brothers, my sister, when it comes to my friends. I'm not willing to risk them meeting Jesus for my own comfort and convenience. Everything requires boldness. What are you willing to risk? How many of you, you're like, okay, Byron, you got me. I'm going to cut a hole in the ceiling. You don't have to do that. I'm going to give you a better way. So before you run out to Home Depot, hold on for a sec. Maybe start here with a conversation, just a simple conversation. Let's start there. See, Crew, the Campus Crusade of Christ, they've discovered that on average it takes 22 gospel conversations for somebody to meet Jesus. 22 unique gospel conversations. Right? You can't just invite them to church one time and say, oh, guess I'm done. Listen, we prayed and prayed for my mom for 50 years before she became a Christian. 50 years. You know what that is? That's determination. Okay, if you want to reach your friends, it's going to take determination on your part, not taking no for an answer, not giving up, not giving in, but getting a little creative and climbing on top of a roof, cutting a hole in the ceiling and lowering them down face to face with Jesus. So here's how you can do it. You can do it by having a conversation with them. Start there. Crew realized that when it comes to gospel conversations, there's five things that people do in order to build relationship with risk. So I'm going to give you five ways to share your faith today. The first way is this, is to be present and listen. Like you can do so much with your mouth shut. Did you know that? Like if you just make yourself available for someone else to talk and tell their story and you ask good questions, people are going to begin to trust you. And that trust is what builds the relationship. And from that relationship, that starts the discipleship. And so just being present and listen. You know, sometimes people are like, but I have to win the argument. No, you don't. You don't have to win an argument and lose a friendship at the same time. How sad and tragic. We're seeing that all across the world on Facebook right now. People are winning political arguments, but they're losing real friendships. So you can actually just be present and listen, and you can learn the perspectives. Because here's what I've discovered is people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And if they know you care about them, they'll listen to you. And we say, but I don't have the right answers. It doesn't matter. You don't need to have the right answers. You say, but what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? You know what you do to them? You lie to them. No, don't do that. Here's what you do. You go home and you Google it. And then you come back the next week and you're like, you know, we were having a conversation last week and that was a really interesting point you made. And here's what I think the answer is. You can actually just go home and Google it. That's where I get all my sermons off Google. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I don't do that. Seriously. Um, But just being present and listening to people really does a whole lot for them. They also discovered that you need to find common ground. This is age and life stage. What do you guys have in common? Whether it's relationships, hobbies, interests, it could be something like kids or marriage. It could be uh, age and life stage, whatever it is. Find a common ground to share with them. This is what Jesus does. John 1 says, the word became flesh and made itself manifest among us. In the, in the message translation, it says this. It says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. What is that? He is finding common ground. He came to the world as a missionary to seek and to save the lost. And even though he was God, very God, he became one of us at the same time. He found common ground with us. The, the next thing is this, is to walk in their shoes to show compassion and concern for them, to show empathy for them, to be able to, to, be able to listen to what they're, they're saying in their story and to walk in their shoes. I mean, just think about it. If someone says, hey, the reason that I'm not a Christian is because whenever I was a kid, my mom died of cancer. Don't try to theologize the problem of evil. No, listen to them and weep with them. Understand the pain and the suffering that they're in. If they say, hey, you know, I have a hard time trusting God as father because my dad was abusive, right? That's not a time for you to do hermeneutical gymnastics to try to wow them with your big words. No, that's the moment that you need to be a decent human being and listen to the pain that they're in because maybe nobody's listened to that pain before. And the moment that they begin to share that with you, you recognize the physical, spiritual, and cultural need that they have in that moment. But you don't get that if you're always trying to talk. Sometimes it's just listening, finding common ground, and then walking in their shoes. And then the fourth thing is this, be normal. Talk like 
a real person? You say, what does that mean? Okay, if you're a Christian, you laughed because you know that we have our own language. Christians have their own language, right? I mean, some of y'all speak in tongues. Others speak in Christianese. <laughs> Do you know what Christianese is? It's an invented language that Christians have. It's words like this, propitiation, ark of the covenant, the sprinkling of the blood, and the Shekinah glory. Now, if you go in talking to somebody, say, hey, what's up, man? Hey, you need the sprinkling of the blood on the ark of the covenant, the Shekinah glory, and the propitiation of your sins. They're like, Shekinah glory, ark of what? Is this Indiana Jones? Like, what's going on here? Or, or we say things like this, like brother, right? Do you know why people will call you brother? It's because they forgot your name. <laughs> like in church, if anybody says, hey, what's up, brother? It's because they don't remember who you are, okay? Or, or we say things like, hey, fellowship. You know, a non-Christian is like, fellowship? What's fellowship? It's a boat filled with a bunch of guys. It, there's a bunch of fellows on that ship, right? <laughs> Ethan? He says no. He says no. He says no. I thought it was funny. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. But if you go up to somebody like, hey, I just want to sprinkle you with the blood, brother. They're like, get away from me. What is this? I don't want any of that. Right? And so just be normal. Just be normal. And then lastly is this. Tell a better story. Tell a better story. This, this actually happened just the other day. I was talking with, with, with someone who their, their, their son is struggling in a, a drug addiction, and he's in and out of prison. I said, you know what? That's my story. My story is 15 years ago. I was in and out of jail. I had a drug addiction. And then I met Jesus, and he changed my entire life. I know exactly what it's like to be you because I used to be you. I know. I've been there. And I know the way through. I know the way out. Because here's what God did in my life. I went to church and met Jesus. I was baptized. I joined a small group. I surrounded myself with some other guys who held me accountable and walked with me. I overcame my addiction. I got married. I'm a dad now. God's totally transformed my life. He did that for me. I know that by God's grace, he wants to do the same thing in your life too. Tell a better story than what they think they have. Because that's what Jesus does. He changes who we are. But we have to be bold enough to invite him. Which means you're going to have to get a little uncomfortable. It means you're going to have to get a little, in, it's going to be a little inconvenient and you're going to have to risk looking foolish. Because sometimes there, you're going to feel foolish. Sharing your faith with others, reaching out, getting outside of your comfort zones, cutting holes in roofs, probably look a little foolish. But here's what these men would tell you. If you were to ask them, what, what happened? They would tell you this. The risk of feeling foolish was greater, was not as great as the rewards of faithfulness. Okay, because look, it says because of their faith, he was healed. Now, normally people would read that and think, oh, that's the paralytics man's faith. No, no, no. It's the faith of his friends that it's his friend's faith, it's their faith that made the difference in his life. When you're inviting someone to church, you're stepping out in faith. When you're sharing your faith, you're stepping out in faith. You're willing to be bold. You're willing to take a risk. And the rewards of your risk of looking foolish is greater than the rewards of being lived your life in fear. I mean, just think about the people that we love and respect. Martin Luther, do you think he felt a little foolish? Nailing the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Castle. Do you think he felt a little foolish? Yes, but what are the rewards of that? The Reformation. Do you think Tyndale looked a little foolish printing Bibles under the cover of dark? Yes, but what are the rewards? You and me, we all have a Bible in our own hands today. Do you think Rosa Parks felt a little foolish not wanting to get off of that bus? Yes, but what are the rewards of her faith? The ending of segregation and the civil rights movement and the liberation of African Americans to equality in our nation. And what they don't tell you about people like Rosa Parks or Harriet Beecher Stowe or Jackie Robinson or William Wilberforce in England who abolished the slave trade is that all those men and women were men and women of faith. And they were willing to do that because they knew the rewards of boldness were better than the risk of feeling like fools. It's going to take determination on your part. If you want to you reach your friends, it's going to take risk. Which leads to, to, to the third point. The third point is this, is that boldness requires divine intervention. Listen, we can only do what we can do. 
You can only do so much. You can only be one place, one time. You can only do so much. You and me, we can only do what we can do. But when we bring our friends to Jesus, Jesus does what only he can do. You do not save anyone. You bring them to Jesus and he saves them. You do not change anyone. Some of you girls are thinking you can change your boyfriend. You can't, but Jesus can. And so you should let Jesus be the change in his life and stop being the change for him. Let Jesus do the things and work in his life as well. You do not save anyone. You bring them to Jesus and Jesus saves them. You extend the invitation and then Jesus steps in with the divine intervention. Listen to what happens here. It's incredible and amazing. It says this. It says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they begin questioning in their hearts. Who does this man think that he is? Blasphemy. Who forgives sins but God alone? Then Jesus perceived in his hearts and said to them, which is easier for your sins to be forgiven or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before him, picked up what he had been laying on, went home glorifying God. Two things. One, go listen to the podcast from Mark, because it's really good. And I'm not just saying that because I preached it. No, like it's, it's really good, okay? Go listen to that because there's so much in here I wish I could unpack for you today, but I just can't. The second thing is this, is that people often misinterpret this text. They'll take this text and they'll say things like, see, you know, Jesus, he didn't really care for the physical need because what he really did, he started by saying your sins are forgiven. And so the spiritual need is more important than the physical need. I get it. I understand it. But that's not what we see here. Jesus not only met the spiritual need, he also came in and met the physical need too. Because Jesus cares about all of you. He doesn't care about part of you. He doesn't just care about some of you or most of you. He cares about you, all of you. And your physical needs are important to you, which means they're important to him. He cared for all of it. You're a whole person. You're a whole being. He loves you entirely. He doesn't just save some of you. He saves all of you, mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit, because you're a whole person. And when we meet Jesus, we become whole as people. The divine intervention of Jesus steps in and he meets every need that you have. He overcomes the cultural need. He overcomes the physical need. And he meets the spiritual need that we have too. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to understand this. Is that Jesus does more than we expect. But he gives us exactly what we need. He does more than we expect. What did this man expect? He expect to walk. What did he end up with? Walking with Jesus. See, sometimes it's the physical need that brings you to church. What is the physical need that brought you here? Was it a relationship? Was it a health crisis? Was it due to uh, a friendship, a marriage, your children? Was it an addiction? Was it a depression? What was the physical need that brought you into church? So oftentimes people walk through these doors with a physical need. If I can just get to church, I just want to come to church. I have this physical burden and need that I have. Then they come down the aisle, they get prayed for, and Jesus meets the spiritual need. And then the spiritual need overflows into their life, and it changes the physical need at the same time. That's my story. That when I met Jesus, strung out on drugs, drunk, sleeping around, and then I met Jesus and everything began to change. Overcame the addiction, overcame the depression and shame. All of that went away. Just think about where you were when you met Jesus. How has Jesus changed your life today? You probably came to Jesus just looking to have a need met. And then Jesus exceeds the need beyond your greatest expectations. Did you ever think four years ago you would be where you're at today, seeing the things in your life that God is doing in your life today, seeing your girls in church following Jesus? Did you think that he would do any of those things four years ago? No, he exceeded your expectations, didn't he? Did he exceed your expectations when we met Jesus together 15 years ago? What has God done in your life since then? He met the personal need in the moment, but he's continuing to change your need every week, every day, every year to where you're not not even who you thought you were because you're becoming who he says that you are. He exceeds your needs. This man had a need and then Jesus exceeded his expectations. Only divine intervention can do that. This isn't self-help. This is God's help. This isn't 12 steps. This is pick up your mat, go home. One step, give your life to Jesus. There is a divine intervention that takes place when we meet Jesus and everything in our life begins to change. You know what that means? 
it's time to celebrate because boldness requires a celebration. When your friends meet Jesus, you know what you should do? Throw a party. When, you, when, when someone in your life gets healed, you know what you should do? You should throw a party for them. You should celebrate. Do you know why? Because you have seen amazing things. You have seen extraordinary things. You should be overwhelmed with God's goodness. You should be overcome with God's glory. You should glorify the Lord. What do you think Steve was doing that day? <laughs> he comes to church and he, he's on his mat and then he walks out the doors. What do you think he was doing? Do you think he was like, wonderful beat the Baptist of Chili's today? No, what do you think he was doing? I bet he was doing this. Ah, my legs, I'm walking. Ah. What do you think the four friends were doing? He was like, whoa, 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 ah, whoa. Sorry about your roof, bub. Oh, like I bet that's what they're doing. You know what they're doing? They were celebrating because when people meet Jesus, it's a reason to party. Amen. There's a lot of things that God is doing in our church. There's a lot of reasons for us to celebrate, to be seized with amazement, to glorify God, to be filled with awe, for us to see amazing things. Not to say them, because we are seeing these things happen in our church. We are seeing 171 people since we opened our doors be baptized in our church. We are seeing thousands of pounds of food being given away to those who are in need within our community. We are seeing men and women who are going into full-time ministry within our church. We are seeing addictions be broken. We are seeing marriages restored. I believe we're going to see even more of that. I believe when we get that new building, we are going to see 30-foot ceilings with 400 parking spaces, 500 seats in the auditorium. I believe we're going to see that our youth are going to have their own room, that our kids are going to have their own room. I'm believing that we're going to see exciting things. We're going to have offices for our staff to where we're not all sitting in the same table. And my office is going to be on the other side of the building from Trevor's office to where he can't see me all day long. I am believing that we are going to see these extraordinary, amazing things. I am believing that we're going to see more money be given, more tithes and offerings, more healings, more financial breakthrough, more miracles take place in our church. I believe divine healing is going to break out and happen. I believe we're going to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of this city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. And I believe that after COVID-19 and the great freeze of 2021, we are going to see more babies dedicated this year than ever before. Which is a reason for us to celebrate, isn't it? I don't want to say amazing things as a church. Man, I want to see them. I'm tired of talking about it. I want to do it. And I believe that God wants to do it too. And so I want to share with you a story that I think really encapsulates what it means to be bold. Because whenever we buy this building, we're not buying a building that's not what being bold is. Being bold is not about buying a building. Write it down. Being bold is about building the kingdom. Because if we, if we get this building and we don't invite others to fill it, what's the point? Because see, when they were leaving and saying, we saw amazing things today. You know what they were talking about? You know what the amazing thing was? The amazing thing wasn't the hole in the roof. They weren't talking about the building they weren't talking about the house. They were like, wow, I'm overcome with God's joy. Like, look at how Steve fit through that hole. Like, that's not what they were talking about. They weren't talking about the building. They weren't talking about the roof. They weren't talking about the ceiling tiles. They weren't talking about the house. They weren't talking about how much money it cost to be able to renovate and repair it. You know what they were talking about? My friend who was far from God and paralyzed and had no hope met Jesus and has changed forever. That's the extraordinary thing. Because we're not just buying a building. We're reaching people and building the kingdom of God. And so if you ever think it's about a building, it's wrong. It's about building the kingdom one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one salvation, one soul, one baptism at a time. We are building the kingdom one person at a time. And so let me tell you a story that illustrates this. If Kayla and Trevor will please come up on stage. Everybody give Kayla and Trevor a big round of applause today. 
Now, in the future, when people are watching this, because like we like um, live stream this, and we also like record all of it for the sermon archives, right? And maybe in ten years, someone's gonna go back and they're gonna watch this sermon, and it's gonna fire them up and inspire them, and they're gonna be like, "What was up with their clothes?" <laughs> When we were planning this, I forgot that today was 80s day. Yeah. And so for those who are watching in the future, right, um, it was a blast from the past, okay? Yeah. And so I wanted you guys, because what happens so oftentimes is people think my story is unique. They're like, oh, well, of course, you know, God's going to do that through Ashley and her invitation to you because, like, you're special. But I'm just a normal person. So besides the clothes, y'all are very normal people. And so I want to let you share your story about what the power of your invitation has done, okay? Absolutely. Um, so a little bit about me. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. Occasionally went as a child, but I had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. So I walked away from my faith when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Um, four years ago, I was in a really low spot. Um, I just lost and scrolling through Facebook, saw an ad about redemption in a new church for Beaumont and just hearing Byron talk about how he had walked away from his faith and um, his vision for the church. Um, I just knew that I had to be there. And so I uh, showed up on a Sunday and sat in the parking lot just thinking, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Um, I just want to know who Jesus is. I don't know who you are. And Byron's first words. Yeah, Byron's first words were, who is Jesus? It's the most important question that you'll ever ask yourself. And I'm like, whoo, okay. <laughs> and every sermon, that sermon and everyone afterwards just hit perfectly like they were made for me. And so I just kept showing up, kept showing up. And I would just be so excited about what I was learning and the change that was happening in my life um, and just in my mind. And I would share it with my friends and family, the closest people to me through conversation, just like you said. And um, they, it sparked a fire. And when you're on fire for the Lord, that fire is highly contagious, and it's going to spread through others. And so I'm just happy that God used me as a vessel to reach my loved ones. And now almost every person that's close in my life calls Redemption, Redemption home. Uh, they serve here, and they have a family with everybody. That's so good. So, <laughs> so, so Kayla, Kayla, Kayla um, met Jesus first, and then Trevor, you came along a little bit after. You want to tell your story, Trevor? Yeah, I guess piggybacking off Kayla's story, um, I never thought I'd be sharing my testimony dressed like this. <laughs> so me and Kayla had broke. We had been together for 10 years. We had broken up for a little bit, and then we got back together. And when we got back together, that's when you had started going to church. And uh, I had seen massive change from her, but I was still uh, a non-believer. I, I, I chose to stay sad in the corner, basically. I'd see, you know, I'd see all the great things, and I'm like, man, that's good. You got that going for you. I'm going to be sad over here. And... One day, <clears throat> I guess a lot of guys can relate to this, I, I upset her really bad. No. So I thought, well, the best way I can make this up to her is going to church. Maybe that'll make her happy because I had really dug a, dug a deep hole, gotten in the doghouse. That's the same with me. I mean, Ashley took me to church, and I was just wet because I didn't want her to break up with me. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's like, how can I redeem this? So I started going to church, and uh, funny enough, we didn't know this until today. The first message I ever heard was out of the book of Mark, and it was this story. The paralytic. First sermon he ever heard at church three years ago. So when I started going, I would be that guy standing in the back during worship with my arms crossed. I was that militant atheist, just like, whatever. Y'all have fun with this. And I just kept going, you know, trying to it, – it, I lost the sense of trying to make Kayla happy because I was actually getting something from it. I didn't know what it was. And then one Sunday morning – I felt something telling me to go receive prayer because, as you guys know, at the end of services, we have the prayer team come up, and I felt something finally tell me, like, what's the worst that could happen? So I walked up, and it was Dee Dee, actually. She goes, what would you like to receive prayer for? And I'm like, I, I don't know how any – I didn't expect that part. <laughs> I didn't know there was, like, more to it. I thought you just laid hands on me, said some stuff, and I felt better. So all that could come to mind was peace. I was like, I would love peace of mind. Uh, I grew up poor. My dad passed away when I was 11. My stepdad passed away when I was 14. Um, I'd never really had peace in my life. So I was like, peace. That's all that came to my mind. And the next day, my testimony worked. like a, It was like a light switch. I woke up on fire to read my Bible and to pray. It had never happened before in my life. So a couple weeks go by, and I realized like, I'm driving to church to go serve in the parking lot. Shout out to our parking lot. And I just start crying. Because I realized I have never experienced peace in my life before. And it's been happening this whole time because God's moving in me. 
So, once you're on fire for God, it's exactly what Kayla said. Once you're on fire for God, you cannot shut up about it. Come on. And quickly, I went from the paralyzed, the paralyzed man being lowered down to the dude carving the hole in the ceiling. Come on. Isn't that so good? So, what I wanted to do uh, with their story is I, I want to encourage you to never underestimate the power that your invitation has. So, Redemption's here because Ashley invited me to church 15 years ago. And if you're here today because of Kayla and Trevor, would you please come up on the stage? If you're here today because of Kayla and Trevor, would you please come and join us up here today? Come on. Come on. Never, ever ever underestimate what God can do through you, what God can do through the power of an invitation. Come on, bring it on in, bring it on in. Look at how incredible this is. Every single one of you has a story of boldness inside of you. Every single one of you has people who you can impact their life. People who, whenever you invite them to church, it's more than just an invitation to church. How many of you would say it's more than an invitation to church? It's an invitation to life change through Jesus. Hey, let me ask you this. How many of you have been baptized here at Redemption? Hey, what does it mean to see your family, your friends, and the closest people in your life who are walking with Jesus and are a part of the church with you? It means God's real and he's doing big things. How many times, how much determination did it take for y'all to come? A lot, huh? A lot, huh? But he's a little crazy, but they were determined. And here's what I want you guys to understand. I want you to understand that God wants to do the same thing in your life with your family and friends too. God wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to do the same thing in yours and yours and yours and yours. And every single one of you have a testimony of boldness that God is waiting to bring out. And there's people in your life who they need you to introduce them to Jesus.